Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. We've got moves. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, December 15th. Frank Stample and Scott White here. And last week we had a big Lance Lynn trade to kick off winter meetings. I thought it was going to be a huge week of moves, Scott. And it wasn't really. I mentioned we have moves, but they're not really big moves. So what's going on, Scott? We've got some stuff to talk about. This is Scott's last week on the podcast. Not forever. Just until the new year. Uh, I do, hope not forever. I hope not forever as well. Uh, yeah. Do you do you think one of the big free agents will sign while you're gone, Scott? I I mean, it depends what you're calling a big free agent. One of it's the, been pretty what, quiet through through Christmas the past couple of off seasons, and and early indications are. I know some of the national beat writers are talking about how it's going to be a slow moving off season again. So I don't know. Maybe one will sign, but I doubt we'll see a whole slew of signings while I'm gone. I am uh, fully ready for it. I am 100% ready for everyone to sign while Scott's out. I'm doing emergency (laughs) podcasts left and right. Scott's on staycation, lounging on the couch, looking at his beautiful Christmas tree, and I'm just here just slaving away, having fun, talking about fantasy baseball. Uh, Today on the show, we will talk about some of these Lesser moves. Uh, James McCann signed. It's something. We'll talk about it. Uh, we have a bit of a keeper extravaganza. Scott has his top 50 keepers coming out for 2021, uh, coming out soon on CBSSports.com. So we'll give you a little sneak peek on that. We'll talk about some of the players listed there in the ranks. Uh, I watched a popular Christmas movie this past weekend. Has Scott seen it? Mm, we're going to have to find out. And we do have your mailbag questions which are mainly Keeper and Dynasty related. But let's start off with James McCann. Scott, he signed with the Mets four years, $40 million. They opt to go with McCann rather than sign JT Real Muto because I think they want to make other moves, whether it's Trevor Bauer or George Springer or Francisco Lindor. That remains to be seen for the Mets. But simple question, is James McCann a top 10 catcher for fantasy? Yes, he is. I had him in my top 10 already in anticipation of him signing to be a starter. And now, I mean, with, with this contract, I mean, this is, this is a nice contract for somebody coming where James McCann was coming from. He was an all-star in, in 2019 for the White Sox as their starter, but in a way that I think people were pretty suspicious of. And I mean, the White Sox themselves, they went out and signed Yasmani Grandal that offseason. But they were still able to find enough at-bats for McCann this year uh, by playing Grandal at first base a lot, actually, to um, to give him enough at-bats to, to to kind of validate that that all-star performance of 2019 and actually improve upon it. I mean, the the OPS jumped by like 100 points, and he did it with a lower BABIP. So still a high BABIP overall, but he's a good line drive hitter. So I, 
you know, the expected stats on StatCast still say James McCann overachieved, but it's one of those situations where I, I don't know that the expected stats um, are the first place I look with him. James McCann has consistently had a very high line drive rate, and that is that's usually a good predictor of batting average. So among catchers, trying to pull open the rankings here, I have... Ew, that's not what I thought I was opening. I have him. I think I have him ninth. Uh, yeah, I have him ninth, and uh, and that's where I'm going to leave him. Top ten catcher. I mean, obviously catcher, not the deepest position, but you know he's one of the more trustworthy guys there. I feel like. Yeah, you have him ninth in both head to head and roto for catchers. I have him tenth in head to head. He does strike out quite a bit. Uh, I also have him tenth in. Roto, so just behind Sean Murphy and Gary Sanchez, but I think that's a good place to have him. And I'm happy you addressed the Babbitt because I tweeted about him when he signed over the weekend. Someone's like, "Well, is Babbitt is out of control?" But you're right. Line drive rate, high line drive rate, usually correlates well with a high batting average on balls in play. I trust McCann. I think what we've seen the past few seasons since the start of 2019, he has an 808 OPS, which is Tied for sixth among catchers with at least 300 plate appearances. Uh, He was a top 10 catcher in 2019, where he was basically an everyday catcher. Uh, And he he averaged 2.7 fantasy points per game this past season as a part-time player, which was better than Wilson Contreras, who had a down year, and it was better than Christian Vasquez as well. So, I like James McCann. No problem with it as a top 10 catcher. I did just want to ask, do you think this has any effect on Lucas Giolito, Scott? Small sample size, everything that we're dealing with, but four starts with Yasmani Grandal as his catcher for Giolito in 2020, a 5.66 ERA, eight starts with James McCann, which of course includes the no-hitter, a 2.61 ERA. Am I reading into things too much here? Not necessarily. The, the thing is, I mean, McCann rated as a great framer this year, but I don't think that was true in previous years. Grandal has always been that. I mean, that, like, we we know him. He, for a long time in fantasy, Osmani Grandal has been one of the high-end catchers. So we think of him as more of an offensive force, but, like, he, he's even more valuable on the defensive side, I would say. Uh, so I, I think he and Giolito will be able to figure it out. Obviously, they're still going to have another catcher on the roster, and, and maybe if, if those two can't figure it out, uh, Giolito will prefer working to the backup. I, I think it'll be okay. I think they'll figure something out. I don't think the catcher leaving is going to... I can't think of an instance where that's happened before, where a catcher left and then the, the pitcher was never good again. You know? yeah. like that, that doesn't really happen. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect that to happen for, for Giolito. <laughs> that would be quite extreme. But uh, it is worth noting that it was four of the first five starts that Giolito made the season that he had with Grandal. And it was that first start where he really just got shelled. Three and two-thirds, seven earned against the Minnesota Twins in the first start of the season. So that really accounted for a large majority of those struggles. I'm not really worried about it myself. Nate Lowe, Jake Gunther, and a player to be named later were traded to the Texas Rangers for three prospects. Scott, I was doing a dance around the house, having myself a little party. I like Nate Lowe, man. I've been waiting for this guy to get everyday playing time for the past two seasons, and he will have that opportunity with the Texas Rangers now. So I've been chasing the minor league numbers for Nate Lowe, and uh, the strikeout rate was high in 2020, but he did some other really nice things, nearly a 12% walk rate, 28% line drive rate. So what can the upside be for somebody 
like Lowe, who is now with the Rangers, can he be a top 15-ish first baseman? Would you start him as like a, would you oh, well, target I mean, him as like a corner infielder for Roto? What are you thinking? Certainly the upside is there to be a top 15 first baseman. I mean, that's that's a pretty low threshold that I feel like I feel like most everyday players, unless they're just completely without power, and, and there are very few players like that in the game today, have the potential to be a top 15 player at their position. Um, I have been, I mean, the whole fantasy baseball world has been pretty excited about Nate Lowe for a while now, and he just kept getting passed over by the Rays. Obviously, one with the Rangers. They had a terrible lineup last year. They really need him. And, um, you know, my favorite thing about him in, in the minors was the plate discipline, actually. So I understand it hasn't translated well to the majors since he was striking out a third of the time, very limited samples, obviously. Um, but he seems like a well-rounded hitter based on his minor league production. He doesn't seem like this all-or-nothing guy. And uh, t- to me, that suggests the upside could be quite high for him. Now he's on the older side, and uh, Rays are a smart organization. Maybe there's a good reason they kept passing him over. It's not, it's, it's not a slam dunk. He's going to succeed here. But he, he becomes a late-round sleeper for sure. Maybe. Maybe the Rays know something that we don't, but... 2018 in the minors, 985 OPS with 27 homers. 2019 in the minors, 929 OPS, 16 homers. Um, and he has held his own against lefties. I was looking this up it, really at every minor league level. He was, he's held his own against lefties, done so in the majors as well. So I am pretty excited about uh, Nate Lowe getting an everyday role. The Texas Rangers went out and also signed David Dahl to a one-year $3 million deal uh, his career splits, 918 OPS in Coors Field, 722 on the road. Hunter Renfro was signed for a one-year $3 million deal. Scott, which one of these players are you more interested in, if any? Dahl to the Rangers or Renfro to the Red Sox? Dahl because I'm swinging big, right? I'm, I'm swinging for the best possible outcome. Renfro, I mean, he he does swing big, but it, like <laughs> there are clear limitations on who he can be. I He's going to be a guy who hopefully slugs a lot of home runs and, and doesn't do much else. We know that. Dahl, I mean, he's running out of chances to make good on, on his potential here. He's, I think this is his age 27 season he's going into, so he's, he's getting up there now. Obviously, a lot of injuries have prevented him from meeting that potential. But, And obviously, he's had good seasons in the past, but they seem dependent on... The cores factor. You mentioned the splits there, and and if you break it down even um, smaller than that, if you you know if you chop it up even more, like the play discipline's been pretty bad for David Dahl, and it's not like he's been great about elevating the ball either. He seems he seems like it seems like his success in the past, what he's had in the majors, has depended on the BABIP inflating effects of effects of Coors Field that obviously he's losing now going anywhere else. He was going to lose it. Uh, so his best year, uh, 2019, well, 2018, well, 2019, let's say he had a 386 Babbitt that year when he hit 302 with an OPS of mm, near 900, a 386 Babbitt. But I mean, he's not doing that with the Rangers. Uh, 
so it's going to depend on him becoming a better hitter. I don't think it's just, oh, if David Dahl stays healthy, this is going to be a great find for the Rangers. He has to get better too. And I think he can, but this is more of a late round pick in fantasy. If you're thinking of him as a sleeper, kind of like, kind of like Lowe is. And, and honestly, I, I might prefer Lowe. Oh, I agree. And for David Dahl, you mentioned the plate discipline. He does have to get better in that regard. A 26% strikeout rate for his career, 6.5% walk rate. So that kind of disparity is not going to get it done, especially in points leagues. I will just bring up, and the past two Wednesdays, we've had Will Middlebrooks and Danny Vietti here on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Um, They're doing things more generally baseball-related, and and they have some former players and current players coming on this week. They have Justin Upton coming on the podcast, so really looking forward to that. But Middlebrooks talked about how he played in the minors in Colorado and that playing in that altitude, it's really, really hard for your body to recover and to just bounce back from injuries. And he thinks that David Dahl getting away from Colorado is actually going to help him stay on the field more. So for whatever that's mm-hmm. worth, you know, there's going to be a trade-off here where maybe he stays on the field more, but he's just not going to be nearly as good on a per-game basis as when he was in Colorado. I think that's fair to say when it comes to David Dahl. Greg Holland is back to the Kansas City Royals. He was really good this in this shortened season. A 191 ERA, 0.95 whip, 31 K's in 28 and a third innings. He had six saves and five of those came after Trevor Rosenthal was traded away from the team. Scott, I know that you typically target closers later on in your Roto or categories drafts. So will Greg Holland be one of those names you target? Maybe. I guess he probably enters at the favorite, but Mike Matheny was pretty non-committal for for most of those 60 games as to who was going to close. Remember, it took him a long time to settle on Trevor Rosenthal. And then after Rosenthal was traded, it's not like he immediately went to Holland. Uh, Josh Stalmont, Scott Barlow, even Jesse Hahn got some late inning looks. And they'll, they'll all be back. They're all younger than Holland. It's not like the Royals paid Holland like a closer, less than $3 million. Uh, so I don't think... I don't think we should just assume Greg Holland is the closer now. I think particularly Stalmont to Barlow and, and some deeper, deeper categories leagues, they're going to get some looks too, but Holland probably starts out as the favorite. And if you're, if you had to target just one guy from that bullpen, it would, it would be him. Let's say they get 30 saves on the season. The Royals do and Holland stays the entire season. There's definitely a chance that they just trade him once they're out of contention which is probably the assumption for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, I don't know. You like the Royals, huh? Sneaky? Uh, well, I mean, I haven't I haven't compared every team roster. I haven't compared roster for roster everybody yet. And obviously, they're not done making moves, but... The central... Carlos Santana. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, they broke in Singer and Bubich. They have two other big prospects. I mean, three... No, Asa Lacey, I mean, is their best pitching prospect. And though he was just drafted this past year, he's supposed to move quickly. I, I don't think it's far-fetched to think he could contribute in 2021. I don't know. There they might be there might be a dark horse contender here, those Kansas City Royals. Ooh, Scott just won over our entire Kansas City audience, uh, and they all hate me. So I, I was the point was if they get 30 saves, I think probably 20 to 22 of those go to Greg Holland. That would probably be my takeaway, at least that many. The Cleveland Indians will drop their nickname, which 
makes sense where we're at. The Washington uh, football team has done the same in football. And Scott, any suggestions, anything that you've seen that stands out to you? A few that I saw, uh, the Cleveland Spiders, Cleveland Rocks, of course, the Drew Carey intro, or or the Cleveland Rockers. But that might be too close to the Colorado Rockies. So I, I don't know if they're going to go that route. Mm. Cleveland Guardians sounds kind of cool. I read uh, the Hope Memorial Bridge. I don't know much about Cleveland, so... Uh, whoever's listening that's from that area, you will understand what I'm talking about. The Hope Memorial Bridge, which sits just outside Progressive Field, is known for its gigantic, quote, guardians of traffic statues. So those were the three that I found that I thought were interesting. Did you find anything, Scott? So they used to be the Cleveland Spiders, I I think. Um, yeah, they were. It was, I don't know, early ni- whatever 1900s or something like that. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I I feel like any nickname sounds stupid when you first hear it. You know, it, like it's going to take a while for like, okay, to, to sound normal. It's going to take a while to sound normal, no matter what it is. So, um, you know, if, if it, if it sounds cool, I'd, I'd, I'd worry it might be too trendy, actually. That that's what, like, I, I think of, like, the Toronto Raptors back when Jurassic Park was, you know, still a phenomenon. <laughs> they got named the Toronto Raptors. And now it's like, I don't know. That, that seems like one of the sillier team names out there to me. Um, but who knows? Yeah, I don't, have, I don't have a good suggestion myself because I think my suggestions would sound as stupid as... That's all the other ones do. <laughs> well, Scott, have you heard me talk? All of my suggestions are stupid. So <laughs> nothing you say uh, will embarrass you here on the podcast. Uh, fun fact, I haven't seen any of the Jurassic Park movies, so I should oh. probably watch. I mean, at least there's, really, there's really only one. The first one, that's it? That's all I've got to watch? Yeah. Yeah, like, that's... Um, like The Matrix. Even more so. I haven't seen Indiana Jones either. Is that weird? Yes. <laughs> yes. Is that weird? <laughs> is that one another of the one? Most iconic movie characters of all time. Is just, that weird? Just watch the first one. Uh, n- okay. Well, maybe I shouldn't go so hard on you because I, I have to admit I've only seen the first Indiana Jones. For shame, Scott. For yeah. shame. Um, now they're good. Like, especially uh, the third one. Right? Is cons- I can't think of the name right now, but. Um, Last Crusade, I think it is. I can't tell uh, you. that. And, and you know, Temple of Doom, that, that gets kind of a mixed reaction from my understanding. But I think overall that's considered a very solid trilogy. Um, you know, Jurassic Park should have just stopped at one. But the first Jurassic Park, I mean, is it would be in my top 10 favorite movies all time. That's it's it's legitimately great. You know, what's weird is I really like the theme song for Jurassic Park and I haven't seen the movie, so. Just yeah. very odd. Um, very odd. <laughs> something that is not odd, which you should be watching this Wednesday, is it's signing day. So on Wednesday, December 16th, we'll have wall-to-wall coverage over on CBS Sports HQ from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. 24-7's top analysts lead the charge. Barton, Bud Elliott, Steve Wilfong, Josh Pate, and more. See where your team's class ends up in the 24-7 rankings. The industry standard live announcements throughout the day, including Flip Watch, Rankings Leapfrogs, and of course, signing alerts. No matter what D1 school you root for, we'll have you covered with breakdowns of all teams. It's nine hours of programming after all. That, that is just insane. You're home for winners and losers, top classes, and diamonds in the rough to remember, all available on the CBS Sports app, on your connected TV, 
and on your mobile device. Keepers. Last week, we spoke about Dynasty strategy, and we got into some players for Dynasty as well. But Dynasty is a large investment, Scott, uh, mostly in terms of your time. If you want to be good in Dynasty, you you have to put the work in. And, and I think we all kind of heard that in Ian Khan's breakdown of, you can be good in it. You just you have to be able to invest the time. If you don't have that type of time, then a keeper league might make more sense for you rather than a dynasty league. And if you've never played in a keeper league before, it's pretty simple. It's you. It starts out off as a redraft league, and then the following year, after the first season of your keeper league, you get to keep however many players, however many you agree upon, two, three, four, five, whatever it might be. Some people keep up ten, whatever it, uh, whatever it is, but. Like in my home league, for example, head-to-head points, 12 teams, we play with four keepers. And every year you keep a player, they move up one round from where they were drafted the year before. So part of the the rankings that you're putting together, Scott, are basically players that were drafted late in 2020 that are going to have much more, much higher value entering 2021. So I guess just tell the people a little bit more about your process for that. Yeah, the top 50 keepers I put together, it was an idea suggested a long time ago, several years ago. Um, and I struggled I struggled with the concept of a top 50 keepers list because, you know, I, I think of a keepers league kind of like you described. You keep just a handful of players. There's a lot of turnover still. It's not like you have to be so long-term focused you're mostly just keeping the best players for the upcoming season and trusting you know you'll there, there will still be good players out there there will still be young players coming up that you can swap out you know if a guy gets too old or whatever um so how did how am i going to distinguish these keeper rankings from like regular redraft rankings because i feel like you know most leagues where you keep four or five players you just keep the best players it's not that complicated but you know some keeper leagues are run uh, where you have to give up a draft pick or or uh, you're forfeiting something based on what they cost you in order to keep them. And so that's how I've constructed this keeper list. It's based on where they were drafted the previous year, obviously in this case where they were drafted in 2020. And um, you know it, it's it's a list for those leagues where where that determines whether or not they're worth keeping. And it still ends up being a lot of the high-end guys because one of my philosophies for this is 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 the uh, the impact of the player is more important than the discount you're getting. So, like basically, all the first rounders, whether or not they were drafted in the first round last year, are going to be in my top fifty because the impact for them is so great. Most of the second rounders are going to be too. You might get a slight discount for keeping some of them, uh, but some of them not. And uh, even somebody like Alex Bregman, who is getting drafted later in 2021 than he was in 2020, I mean, you're still talking about a first-round caliber player there that I would be reluctant to forfeit in a keeper league. So he's somebody like that would still be on there too. Uh, but then you get you get ones that are mostly on there for the discount, like a uh, like a Luke Voigt, for instance, who was drafted in the round 16 to 18 range this past year. And now he's, you know, looking more like a fifth round type and that's a big discount. Um, not many people made this list who are only like an eighth or ninth rounder, even if they were undrafted last year and they're, you can, 
they're going in like the eighth or ninth round. It doesn't mean they're a bad keeper. It just means there are 50 better ones. And, uh, you know, I had to make some difficult cuts. So, um, I got it narrowed down to 50 in time for this podcast. I started out with a list of like 75, I think. And then there were six at the end that were very difficult to cut. The last two cuts, I'll go ahead and tell you, were Ian Anderson and Sixto Sanchez, who are kind of in that eight, nine round range now after being undrafted last year. So they're kind of, they're kind of exactly who I'm referring to. They just don't quite have the, uh, the, uh, the high-end outcome, at least the expectation of a high-end outcome to justify putting in my top 50, even, even though you might theoretically keep them for a long time. You know, again, you're expecting a lot of turnover in this sort of league. So let's talk a little bit more about Luke Voigt. You brought him up, and he was great in 2020. Uh, 277 batting average, 22 homers, 41 runs, and 52 RBI. He was the third best first baseman in Roto. He averaged 3.9 fantasy points per game. That was fourth best among first basemen on a per-game basis. He was great. The only question that we really have, Scott, is regarding the injuries in 20. 19, he dealt with a core injury. This past season, towards the end of the year and in the postseason, he dealt with this plantar fasciitis, which they refer to as foot stuff towards the end of the season. And we were kind of laughing about that. Like, what? Foot stuff? What does that mean? Um, but apparently he's had platelet-rich plasma injections and doesn't expect it to be an issue in 2021. So what we'll do for each of these keepers, Scott, is I'll just ask you a, a buy or sell question for Voight. Is he a top five first baseman for you heading into 2021. He is a top five first baseman for me. Fifth, he's my number five first baseman. Um, counting DJ LeMahieu at that position. So yes, he is. But the, the difficult thing about assessing Luke Voigt is I'm pretty confident he's good. You know, for, for two plus years now, he's been good. Two years and what, like a month and a half he spent with the Yankees in 2018 and, and broke out very loudly. But he hasn't always been good in the same way year after year. Um, this past year, he was a massive power hitter. That was the main way he stood out. Uh, also made a lot more contact than he ever had before, but sacrificed some walks, you know, in 2019, before he had the core muscle injury that kind of wrecked his season. He, he wasn't putting up huge power numbers. He was putting up decent power numbers, but what really stood out was the on-base percentage. He was getting on base so much. So I'm not sure exactly what like the prototype Luke Voigt season looks like, but uh, I feel pretty confident he's going to be good. And certainly a discount as extreme as this, you know, more than 10 rounds for a, for a high end bat. Like I'm actually not thrilled to take Luke Voigt in redraft leagues because I feel like uh, there's a lot of upside for first baseman behind him, but you're factoring in a discount here as a keeper. And that, that makes him an excellent keeper. To Nelson Lambet, was dealing with an injury of his own, similar to Luke Voigt. Uh, not the same injury, obviously. Uh, he was great this past season. I mean, everyone who drafted him as a potential breakout probably couldn't have even imagined a season this good for him. 209 ERA, 0.86 whip, 12.1 K per nine. Uh, and what I really liked was in nine of 12 Lamette starts, two walks or less. We're not used to control like that out of Denelson Lamette. The problem is he ended the season with uh, biceps tightness. He had Tommy John surgery back in 2018. I saw an update, actually, which came out earlier today. We're recording this Monday, December 14th. You'll hear it on Tuesday. But 
there was an update that said his throwing program remains on schedule. Uh, he's so far avoided surgery and his PRP treatment appears to be having the desired effect. So we'll see. Buy or sell Scott Nelson Lamette as an SP2 in 2021. The upside is certainly there. I, I, I thought I was going to really love Denelson Lamette heading into the new season. I mean, I mean, I rank him 18th, so I guess I have him as an SP2 technically, but I'm scared of him. I'm scared of even that language is not totally reassuring to me. He's so far avoided surgery. <laughs> you know, the PRP injections uh, seem to be having the desired <laughs> effect. Like, of course, uh, of course, they're going to be painting a rosy picture. If they weren't, he'd already be going in for surgery, right? Like, just it just seems like he's beating the odds. Maybe that's not fair, but like if there's a single pitcher right now who isn't already going in for surgery, hasn't already gone in for surgery, who I would worry is destined for it, he he'd be the one. I think. Is there anyone else who has that same level of concern? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's in my top fifty keepers too, because you're talking about a guy who went in the twelfth round on average last year, and now he's between like round four, round six range, uh, which is fair. And, and I think it's too big. Like you can't let your, you can't let your fears about injury, um, scare you away from that kind of value pick. Cause you know, maybe he will be fine, Give but me- he'll be lower on the top 50 keepers list than I think, uh, the discount at face value would suggest. Give me a scenario in redraft where you would wind up with Lamette, Scott, or is he just on the do not draft list? Would it? Would you have to have, say, two of your top ten pitchers to feel comfortable taking him as your SP three, or like what oh. would you need to be able to take him? I would take him as my number three, but it, it would probably mean he fell. He fell. Um, you know, I rank him ahead of Tyler Glass now and Stephen Strasburg. Who have injury concerns of their own, obviously. Yeah, so I i mean, my they're my rankings, so I assume I would actually take him ahead of those guys. Uh, but it's its a problem for me personally if, if he actually ends up being my SP2. I would rather have him as my SP3, and by the time, it's very likely he's already gone before I'm drafting my SP3. So I just, I don't think I'm going to end up with much of Denelson Lamette. Well, maybe somebody Scott does like as as an SP2 is Kenta Maeda, who was drafted in rounds 13 and 14 in Roto and head-to-head points, respectively, this past season. Averaged 21 fantasy points per game. That was fifth among starting pitchers. 2.7 ERA, 0.75 whip, 80 strikeouts in 66 and two-thirds. For Maeda, three earned runs or less in all 11 starts. He only threw more than 94 pitches in just one start. And that was a start where he had a no-hitter going all the way into the ninth inning. Scott, buy or sell Kent Maeda as a top 50 pick this season. So basically, in a 12-team league, you have to take him within the first four rounds. I buy it. I have him ranked that way. I have him, even in 5x5 five five leagues, I have him 35th. I mean, I, I buy what he did. And... Uh, I mean, he was just amazing by any measurement um, in terms of missing bats, in terms of how good his control was. Like, he was just... Oh, he was a better ground ball pitcher than he'd ever been before. 
Like, he did everything right. I think his XFIP, what was his XFIP? Was it like the second best among qualifiers or something? Um, Just going top of mind there. But it was really good. It was really good. And yeah, uh, the thing about keeping him is he's going into his age 33 season and obviously he doesn't have a long track record of dominating to this extent. It always looked like he should be better than he was with the Dodgers and they kind of manipulated his innings. He had the third best exit among qualifiers behind just, of course, Bieber and DeGrom. Um, of course, the, the the Dodgers played games with his workload and the Twins less so. He was going six innings so frequently. Like I, I feel like if he had to labor more, they would have let him labor more, but he just didn't have to because he was given them the length without having to throw many pitches. So I don't even worry so much about the low pitch counts there for Maeda. And I, I think it's a good example of if you're talking about a league where you're just keeping a handful of players as opposed to half your roster, don't worry about the age. I mean, there's a top 12 pitcher and um, I'd, I'd be thrilled to have him at any kind of discount. It turns out it's probably going to be a, it's probably going to be at least five rounds. Yeah. I mean, if you can keep him for, if it just he went up, 10 rounds, he went 10 rounds later last year than he's going now. Yeah. If you can just keep him for one or two rounds higher from where you drafted him last year, I mean, you're probably getting him in, getting him in round 12, 11, maybe even. So it's just a great value for Maeda. And the last thing that I'll add is there was a change in his pitch mix that legitimately helped him get to this point. It wasn't just, Oh, like fluky. Where did this all come from? He, Decrease his fastball usage about 12%, use his slider 9% more, and use his changeup 6% more. So there was legitimate changes. Slider and changeup are, are very, very good pitches for Kent Maeda. I buy. I buy as well. I wouldn't mind taking him inside the top 50 picks. But what about Dylan Bundy, who was a round 19 pitcher in Roto and a round 17 pitcher in head-to-head points leagues last season? I've referenced this before. First four starts, 1.57 ERA, 2.92 XFIP. Last eight starts, 4.62 ERA, 4.39 XFIP. Buy or sell, Dylan Bundy is a top 30 starting pitcher this season. I mean, you're setting such low thresholds here that top 25 to sell on any of them. Top 25? Um... Now that's that's getting that's getting fringy. I think I will I think I'll sell top 25. Let me see exactly where I rank him so I'm not Yeah, I have him 31. So I can sell. I could I guess I could sell top 30. Cuz I have him 31. Um Here's the thing about Bundy. I I actually ended up having to leave him out of my top 50 keepers when I sent you these suggestions for who we're talking about. I thought he was going to be in. I actually had to leave him out. Because he, I'm not sure he quite measures up stuff-wise. I mean, it's it's all so reliant on that one pitch, that kind of split change-up he has going on that uh, is responsible for his whiffs largely. And he actually, uh, this year, he actually lost some velocity on his fastball. So it really depended on that one pitch. And... Yeah, he outperformed his peripherals. He outperformed the XFIP. He outperformed the Sierra. They weren't bad as they are, but he outperformed them by more than half a run. Um, So it seems like he overachieved 
Uh, XERA, for what it's worth, was actually better than his ERA. That was really low, but I don't trust that one as much as XFIP anyway. Just worth pointing out. I have doubts about Dylan Bundy the same way I do about Lance Lynn, where your doubts can only take you so far because there's just not much alternative once you get to the point where they're going. Um, you know, Lance Lynn does go considerably earlier, but like he's, he throws so many innings. It's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to let your, it's hard to pass over him because of some, you know, peripheral concerns there. And it's the same way with Dylan Bundy, but I'm not enthusiastic about drafting Bundy this year. And, you know, even though it's like a 10 round discount for him, I'm, I, I couldn't fit him in my top 50 keepers either. Could fit him in my top 60 keepers, but not a top 50. <laughs> so just misses the cut as a top 50 pitcher, uh, yeah. keeper rather. And for Bundy, it was one of those things where if you watched him pitch this year, when he didn't have that split change, his slider is a go-to pitch for him as well. Like there are starts where if he didn't have one of those pitches working for him, everything just snowballed and it got out of control. Like, he came up, he threw mid-90s with the fastball, and there were starts where he kind of went back to that just because he didn't really have anything else. And now he throws like 89-90 with the, with the fastball. So if he doesn't have everything working, it's it's tough for Bundy. So I, I'm, yeah, I see you, like, you got the right pitch. I, I, I was talking about the wrong pitch. The changeup is okay, but it's really, it's really a slider-cutter hybrid that... Gets all his whiffs. Yeah, so I, he uses both pitches. I know, like, his fastball is not the pitch you want him to throw. You want him to throw mm. that slider and that changeup uh, more often than not. And, and for the first couple of starts, he was moving away from the fastball. That's why we were so excited about him. But then there were other starts where he just didn't have anything else, and he had to go back to that fastball, and you just saw everything starting to crumble there. So I like him as an SP4, maybe, but top 30, I, I'm, I'm selling that one as well. Dom Smith is the last name we'll bring up, and obviously this is contingent on whether or not the National League has a DH. We'll find out. He was great. He was great in uh, 2020, this past season. If you look at since the start of 2019, his last 139 games, 299 batting average, 21 homers, a 937 OPS. Uh, you know what kind of vibes I'm getting here, Scott? For for years, I I was looking at... The gentleman's name, Jesus Aguilar. And I know a couple people were as well. And they said, you know, if this guy just got everyday playing time, he would be able to break out. And that one year with the Brewers, he finally got the opportunity to play every day. It's exactly how I feel about Dom Smith. He kind of broke out already, but I think there could even be another step for him if the Mets really just unleash him and let him go. Buy or sell, top 10 first baseman if there is a DH in the National League. I buy that I buy him as a top 10 first base men. I have him actually exactly 10th. It's worth noting first base, not the deepest position right now. It's also worth noting if he's who he was last year, he'll be easily top 10. I mean, he was in, in terms of fantasy points per game. He was the uh, fifth best first baseman with, uh, you know, a solid number of at bats. So he, he was legitimately studly this year. He doesn't strike out much. That was true in 2019 too. Uh, when, when also the numbers were pretty strong for, for Dominic Smith. Uh, and he's still only 25. He got drafted so young. I feel like, like he feels like a guy who's been kicking around for a long time, but that's just because he started so young and probably too, it was probably unfair of us to write him off. I, I feel, I felt like, I felt like I was the, the there came a point there where I was the last one holding on to Dominic Smith. And then once Pete Alonzo overtook him, it was like, okay, it's, it's over. It's not going to work out for him. 
Uh, obviously, the DH helped with that. I don't know that that's a make or break thing for him because obviously Robinson Cano out for the year, suspended. That 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 puts Jeff McNeil firmly at second base. Obviously, Jonas Cespedes, he's out of the mix too. So right now, it would be Dominic Smith in left field and um, J.D. Davis at third base. It's a pretty awful left side of the field defensively. And so maybe the Mets wouldn't feel comfortable with it, but there's so much offense they can get from those two that like it's going to be hard to keep either one out of the lineup. And you know they're not keeping Pete Alonso out of the lineup. So they may just accept it. I don't know. But uh, I, I don't think I don't think Smith's fantasy value totally depends on DH staying in the NL. A solid keeper, I would call Tom Smith, and it depends what your league rules are for keepers as well. Because in most leagues, he was probably a free agent pickup. So in my home league, if you're a free agent pickup, you're a round twelve keeper. At that point, you probably don't want to keep Tom Smith. If you just get to keep a free agent for the last round pick in your draft, yeah, that's that's pretty exciting for, for Dominic Smith. We're going to hit a quick break. When we return, I've got a movie I watched. Did Scott see it? Find out next. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today. And in the holiday spirit, this past weekend, Scott, I watched for the first time in my life, Christmas Vacation with Chevy <laughs> Chase. You shouldn't be surprised. I assume you've seen it. Have you ever heard of it, Scott? <sighs> Scott is so disappointed in me right now. You have to, you gotta watch. Have you, never, have you never watched a Christmas movie before? <laughs> like, how did you miss that one? Like, that's one of those movies. Like, I've watched. Like, I'm tired of watching it because, like, it, it's Christmas and you want to watch Christmas movies, but there's only so many good ones. That's one of the good ones. So it, you watch it a lot. It was very good. <laughs> it was very raunchy. I, you know, I never, I haven't watched any of the vacation movies, obviously, because I live under a rock, but. Mm. It was <laughs> more raunchy than I thought. It was funny. Um, it lived up to the hype. And, and I went in with a very high bar because people have talked it up. Uh, yeah, just the first 28 years of my life, I didn't get around to it until now. So, <sighs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, what do you want me to say about Christmas? Like, I, I feel like the audience right now is... like, what, what can even be said about this movie? Because it's been... It's been uh, passed around so much. Like, uh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> is it your favorite Christmas movie, Scott? It's my wife's favorite. I would say my favorite is Home Alone, which we actually just watched last night. It's it's another one of those that you know only so many only so many good Christmas movies. So you rewatch the good ones, probably more than they deserve. But yeah, I, have you seen Home Alone, Frank? Oh, I have seen all the Home Alones, even Part Three, which. <laughs> Is egregious on my. I think there behalf. was like a direct home release, Home Alone Four too. Ugh. Obviously not with only one and two had the original cast, of course. Yeah, and look, Home Alone Two is pretty good too. Home Alone Two, home of two course, pretty good in the great state of New York. Um, yes, I have seen the first three Home Alones; they were all good. I also enjoy Jingle All the Way, Elf, mm. and Just Friends. Actually, my favorite Christmas movie. It's yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a good one. It's good. It's good. It Just is, friends. It is a great one. I, I, I actually was looking for that last night before we settled on Home Alone. It wasn't streaming anywhere. So going to watch Just Friends, but I was looking for it. Be yourself. Be yourself. 
For anyone else who's seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Mailbag! Continue to email us, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com with your questions. If you enjoy the show and want to leave a five-star Apple podcast review, you can drop a question in there as well. We would appreciate it. This one's from Michael Franco, which makes me think that it might be from Michael Franco. Was hoping to get your opinion on a trade in a 14-team Dynasty League. We keep our entire roster every year along with a 20-man taxi squad. It's a head-to-head points league. Team A, Alec Bohm and Logan Gilbert. Team B, Matt Chapman and Matthew Liberator. Of course, pitching prospect for the Cardinals. I should have mentioned Logan Gilbert is a pitching prospect for the Seattle Mariners. I'm slightly worried about Chapman's hip situation, and I feel like I need to get Bohm now before his value skyrockets. Also a huge fan of Logan Gilbert. So it sounds like he would be trading away Chapman and Liberator to receive Bohm and Gilbert. Head-to-head points, Dynasty. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I do it. I do it. Um, recently, my top 30 pitcher prospects were released on the site. I have Logan Gilbert in my top 10. Uh, Liberator's in the top 30, but I, I think in terms of upside, he's definitely a step down. And and then I I love Bohm. I, I love Bohm especially for points leagues. So I I think I think that could end up being an upgrade, uh, or at least a lateral move, Chapman to Bohm. And uh, you know, yeah, I do it. We are in agreement there. This one's from Elliot. I'm in an eight team five by five roto salary cap league with quality starts, saves plus holds, and OBP instead of the usual wins, saves, and batting average. The innings limit is 1,250, and you start 11 batters, four outfielders, plus an infielder, plus a DH, plus all the usual suspects. Uh, With eight teams, a total of about 60 points typically wins the league. As it happens, I will be keeping Bieber, Cole, Bauer, and Corbin Burns or Max Freed, all for tidy prices. I have this crazy notion to go out and draft Jacob DeGrom for probably about $40 to $45 and nearly guarantee myself 35 points in pitching, even if I spend $1 on my RPs, which you can do because this is a saves plus holds league, so there are going to be a lot of relievers available, uh, and play the waiver wire, so on and so forth. Am I getting too greedy with starting pitching? <laughs> I think I might know the answer from Scott. I don't think you can get too greedy with starting exactly. pitching. I mean, if it's a league that where trades happen, like they're going to fetch the most on the trade market of anybody, of anybody. Maybe not in a five by five league. Maybe not base stealers who are actually worth their salt. Uh, maybe those will be the more valuable asset. But I, I'm not even sure that's true because some teams just won't need another base stealer. Everybody's going to need another pitcher, uh, and you might you may end up being the one who needs another pitcher. Two of these guys get hurt early on. You'll be glad you have that extra arm, particularly in eight-team league. I mean, like there are just so many redundancies at all the hitter positions, um, and, and you run out of those redundancies faster at, at, at pitcher among the high-end arms. So yeah, I'd, uh, I think that's a good. I, I endorse this plan. This one's from Keenan Keeper League, where you keep three head-to-head categories: trade Paul Goldschmidt and Kyle Lewis for Kyle Tucker. Am I overvaluing Tucker? I would then slot Dom Smith to first base to replace Goldie. Trade Goldie and Kyle Lewis for Kyle Tucker, Scott. Keep three. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I assume you wouldn't be keeping either Goldschmidt or Lewis. Am I I, uh, presuming too much in this question here? 
Like you might keep Tucker. You probably want to keep those two. I, I, I assume you're keeping Tucker by trading for him. Mm-hmm. That's what I assume as well. Right. I'm, but you're only keeping three. I don't know that Tucker would be necessarily a top three keeper for every team, but maybe it would be for years. I don't know. I, I don't really see what the down, I, I don't really see why he's asking this question because if I'm interpreting it correctly, it seems too obvious even to ask you trade the guys you're not keeping for somebody you'd keep. So let's assume for a second, Scott, that you can, that he was planning on keeping Goldschmidt and Kyle Lewis. And as a result of getting Kyle Tucker, he can now keep Dom Smith. Do you, would you like that side more Tucker and Dom Smith versus Goldschmidt and Kyle Lewis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I straight up, I'd probably keep Dom Smith. I, I know I'd keep him over Lewis. I might keep him over Goldschmidt too. Okay. So cool. yeah, that's, that's easy. Yeah. This one's from Jordan. 12 team head to head categories. Keeper league six by six with OPS as the added hitting category and quality starts instead of wins uh, net saves and holds instead of just saves and K per nine as the added sixth category on the pitching side. Choose seven keepers from the following. I went ahead and chose five that I thought were the most obvious ones, which included Trevor Story, uh, Trevor Bauer, Aaron Nola, Jordan Alvarez, and Adalberto Mondesi. I chose those five. So choose two more out of these names, Scott. Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Lewis, Nick Castellanos, Randy Arozarena, Alec Bohm, Mike Yastrzemski, Austin Meadows, Dylan Bundy, Edwin Diaz, Rysel Iglesias. Two of those. I keep Bundy and Rizzo. I think you need the arm for sure because you only have Bauer and Nola and I suspect with this many keepers, seven keepers, most of the pitchers of that ilk are going to be kept. So you got to lock up Bundy. And then really it's just a it's just a close call between Rizzo and Castellanos for me for that second spot. I rank Rizzo a little bit ahead. First base is going to be harder to fill. Uh, Castellanos might be the higher upside play, so I wouldn't mind you doing that, but I'd go Rizzo. I wasn't off base by including Adalberto Mondesi as one of the keepers, right? Even with OPS as a category? I mean, he's going to single-handedly win you stolen bases, probably. So, no, that's that's right. Okay. And Rosarena wasn't close to Castellanos or Rizzo. He, he's third, if I'm if I'm ranking all of these by their keeper prospects. He'd be third. But. All right. Uh, this one's from Matt in NorCal. I play in a keeper league 5 by 5 head-to-head categories. We keep seven with no stipulations. I have two spots available for starting pitchers. Gallon is my no-brainer, but who else should I take out of Ian Anderson, Tristan McKenzie, Sixto Sanchez, Zach Plesac, Mackenzie Gore, Nate Pearson, Spencer Howard? I could free up another spot by dropping Hiora or Luis Robert, but not a fan of doing, uh, not, not a fan of that idea. So you need one, Scott. Ian Anderson, McKenzie, Sixto, Plesac, Gore, Pearson, Howard. Interesting names. It's close. I think it's I think it's Plesac. I might put I might consider Anderson and Sanchez. Like if I'm gonna say anybody's close, it's those two. But I honestly yeah, I have Plesac ten spots ahead of Anderson in my rankings. I am I'm a Plesac believer. And he's the choice to keep here. This one's from Morgan Day, NL only league, Roto. Salary cap, $260 budget. Grade the trade. I gave up Kershaw for 23 bucks. Max Freed, 15. Garrett Hampson, 13. 
I received Luis Patino for 11, Brandon Woodruff for 6, Austin Slater for 6, Chris Taylor for 3, and minor leaguer Marco Luciano. Plus, I shed $25 that I can use to extend Fernando Tatis, and I'll only grade the trade. This seems like somebody who's rebuilding here, Scott. Or retooling, rather. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... What is Hampson worth, really? I don't know, but it might be next to nothing. It might be based on what he's shown us so far. I'm in an L only league. Obviously, you go a lot deeper, and I guess, I guess, just as a cheap steel source, like maybe worst case, he'll be that maybe. But did he? He didn't even run this much much this past year, did he? These that sixty game season. Um. So you know, Kershaw to Woodruff. You're getting Woodruff at a much lower dollar amount, and that's basically. Uh, for 2021 returns, that's about equal in terms of what they're going to provide. You're losing Freed, uh, but getting some offense there. And Taylor, getting Luciano could be a great keeper long-term. And then it's helping you lock up Tatis. Uh, I don't think it's... I don't think taking the deal is a slam dunk, but I get why you're doing it. I mean, if I was grading it, I might give it just like an even C. And it just depends. I guess it just depends on how good the rest of your team looks, whether you want to stick with Kershaw and Freed with Hampson as a little extra steel source. I mean, maybe maybe Hampson will go off this year and and you'll really regret doing it. But I'm leaning no on that one. Leaning no. Okay. Leaning no on Hampson going off. Okay. With the trade itself, leaning yes. Okay. Yeah, Sorry. I was I was gonna say C plus and C is even usually. Uh, so I, I I like it slightly in your favor, Morgan. This one's from Kyle. Are you guys gamers at all? Want to talk about your favorite video games at all uh, for a bit? I hear Scott mention it every now and then. Well, yeah. <laughs> Scott hosts a podcast on the side that's called All That's Fit for 8-Bits, which, in which he reviews uh, the classic NES games. So, Yes, I yes the, the season finale just came out today. Reviewed Shadowgate for hmm. the NES. And uh, people seem to like it. I do... If you like the Michael Caine impression, uh, I do that in one of the episodes. I, I actually do a different impression each episode. I pick out a, a a music track from the game and write lyrics to it and sing it at the end of every one. So it's 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 kind of a whole you know listening experience. You're definitely getting more than just a breakdown of the game, but you're getting that too. And uh, I enjoy doing it. People seem to enjoy listening to it. That's all that's fit for 8-bits. That's what it's called. Uh, I don't do a lot of modern games myself. There just, there just, isn't, just isn't enough time. There just isn't enough time. You know, I, I, I could make the, the little kid's excuse. I feel, like I, I feel like that gets used a lot, but it's true. They just consume so much of your life. And when you get... Uh, some spare moments to yourself. It's hard. Like you get like an hour or two window. It's hard to sit down for this very like involved game where the hour or two window might not, you might not even progress far enough to feel like that was time well spent. You know what I mean? So I've kind of, except for the old school games that I can get through quickly, I've kind of put, I've kind of put the games, the video games aside for this, this season of my life. I hope to, uh, to get back into them at a later season. But yeah, I don't, I don't do much of the modern stuff. What about you, Frank? Well, do you have, uh, give me your three favorite NES games, Scott. 
Uh, for the NES specifically, I would probably go uh, um, not in order. I'll give the easy. The easy answers are Tecmo Bowl, which I also reviewed already. Ninja Gaiden, which I'm hoping to review next year. And then the, the controversial one would be Friday the 13th, which isn't, isn't considered a good game. But I think it's just because people were scared when they played it and never bothered to figure out how to play it correctly because I think it's actually an awesome game and I review that one too on All That's Fit for 8-Bits. So check out that episode if you have any experience with Friday the 13th. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Scott, because there was a Friday the 13th game that came out uh, recently, the past couple of years that you could play on Xbox and I believe PC as well. And you play online. One person is randomly chosen to be Jason and the rest of the people are camp survivors. And I played mm -hmm. it quite a bit and it was fun it was a very fun game so i do have an xbox series x i play uh nba 2k 21 whenever i have time i don't even have kids and i barely have time to play so that i i certainly know where you're coming from scott uh gears of war has always been my go-to online multiplayer game i'm a huge pokemon nerd i own every pokemon game traditional pokemon game from pokemon red to mm -hmm. the most recent pokemon shield um i am a Button. nerd for, for what it's worth, my favorite game of all time is Sui Coden 2, which was an, an RPG for the PlayStation 1. Mm. And uh, it's just an excellent, excellent game. That whole series, Sui Coden, it, got, uh, it didn't get the attention it deserved, but it's, it's very strong overall. Did you ever play Legend of Dragoon, Scott? I did, yeah. That was an awesome game. Played it two or three times. Yeah. I like it, and I appreciate it. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye.